What is humanism? What are humanist values? What is unique about living as a humanist in Northwest Ohio? This is the place to find out. My name is Douglas Berger, and this is Glass City Humanist. In this episode, I try to fill time without interviewing someone. We get some news from our group, Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie. We give a humanist response to the murder of George Floyd, celebrate an unlikely court victory for LGBTQ community, and dust off an old blog post about the words, under God, in the Pledge of Allegiance. Before we get to the content of the episode today, I just wanted to share some brief news about our sponsor, the Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie. A decision was made to close our meetup.com account. It will be closed by June 24th. There are no plans to schedule any additional events on meetup before June 24th. We want to thank all of those of you who followed the group there, and we thank the few who actually attended our events from the blurbs on Meetup. If you would like to continue to follow our scheduled events, you can do one or more of the following. You can become a member of Sholi. Individual memberships are $10 and households are $20. And you'll be kept up to date on our events. Just go to our website, humanistwle.org, and then look for the link at the top of the page. It says, join our group. Second thing you can do is sign up for our Sholi email newsletter. That newsletter is totally different than the newsletter we send out with the Glass City Humanist uh, podcast. Uh, the Sholi email newsletter uh, has group news and lists our events, that sort of thing. It's usually sent out about once a month. Again, you can go to our website, humanistwle.org, and look for the link that says our newsletter. You can also follow us on social media. We post about our upcoming me meetings and events there as well. Uh, if you use Facebook or Twitter, just do a search on Humanist WLE. If you have Instagram, we are SecHume Western Lake Erie, all one word. Another thing you can do is you can visit our events page on our website from time to time. That's humanistwle.org slash events and that is kept up to date pretty up to date and we are transitioning from meetup to e what's called eventbrite that's a, a a popular service that you can sell tickets and things like that uh, it uh, you can list your event and things like that pretty much everything you could do with meetup it just doesn't cost in us any money <laughs> So just go to eventbrite.com and do a search for Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie and it'll come up. Um, if you go to the show notes for the podcast, uh, we'll have a link to, to that information. So just you can get it from there as well. And finally, it was also announced last week that Toledo Metro Parks would resume renting out their indoor and outdoor shelters for use by the public. All the shelters will have reduced capacities and will be sanitized after each use. Uh, Sholi surveyed our members and a majority said they would attend a picnic 
even with the restrictions due to the COVID-19 outbreak. One of the restrictions that we talked about, we would have to have a strict limitation on shared food. Now, normally when we've had a picnic, it was a potluck style. You set up a table, everybody puts their food out and you just walk along and dish it on your plate. Well, because of the COVID-19, we won't be able to do that. So probably what we'll have to do is have everybody bring their own food and utensils. And if you wanted to make something to share with the group, then you would have to portion it out into individual closed containers and then set it out on a table somewhere and then we could all get it from there. Uh, we are planning on having a picnic in September. Uh, the date and time will be set when we get a shelter reserved. Uh, we haven't worked out all the details. Like I said, uh, we're still formulating what to do with food. Uh, but we just wanted to let people know that we plan on doing it and maybe kind of make a note to yourself on your calendar. Hey, Sholi's going to have a picnic this month. Uh, more than likely, it might be September the 19th, but uh, we'll, we'll definitely have that here in the next uh, week or so. We'll, we'll have that all firmed up. Okay, well, that's the news from Sholi. So let's move on to today's episode. This is Glass City Humanist. On Memorial Day in the city of Minneapolis, George Floyd was placed under arrest for allegedly passing a phony $20 bill at a local grocery store. He was handcuffed and taken to a police car. He complained about not being able to breathe, and he refused to get in the car. There was a short struggle, and an officer took Floyd to the ground and pinned him there with his knee on the back of his neck, while two other officers held him down on his back and legs. Floyd complained about not being able to breathe again and asked for some help, and the officers did nothing to help him. In fact, the officer with his knee on Floyd's neck didn't remove it until after medics arrived and Floyd had no pulse. The murder has led to days of protests and sometimes with violence in many cities and communities in the U.S. and around the world. You don't need to be a humanist to see the injustice of murdering George Floyd. Even if he was guilty of using fake money, such a crime doesn't have a death penalty. Putting pressure on his neck and ignoring his pleas for help and those of the onlookers who tried to intervene is a perfect example of depraved indifference to human life. It amazes me when someone could be that callous. I watched the videos showing the police actions that day, and I get choked up remembering those images. This country has a terrible track record in responsibility and transparency when police murder unarmed people, the same people they have been sworn to protect and serve. There also seems to be a, a large lack of empathy. Responsibility and empathy are two of the Ten Commitments published by the American Humanist Association last year. The Ten Commitments give bite-sized explanations of humanist principles. Responsibility is stated as, Every day, each of us makes choices. These choices, large and small, all have consequences for ourselves and for the world around us. Moral responsibility involves taking conscious ownership of one's intentions and actions, and being accountable for the resulting consequences. Although we all live in a society with various cultural values, expectations, 
codes of conduct, and social mores. Ultimately, we all decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. Being a responsible person involves steadfast attention to what is right and willfully bearing the blame or praise for our own actions. Had police in Minneapolis been in a shootout with George Floyd and the officers feared for their lives or they needed to protect unarmed civilians in the area, they probably would have been justified in killing Floyd. However, in the real situation, Floyd was handcuffed and except for complaining about being able to breathe, was not causing any issues for the officers. They decided to treat him roughly, and their actions led directly to his death. They need to accept responsibility, and police departments around the country need to reevaluate how they treat suspects and the indiscriminate use of force. The officers involved will get their day in court, something they denied George Floyd that day. And in our Ten Commitments, empathy means entering imaginatively into another's situation in an attempt to understand their experience as though we are experiencing it ourselves. Empathy requires a person to step outside of their own perspective, to consider someone else's thoughts, feelings, or circumstance from that person's point of view. In many ways, empathy is the first step to ethical behavior as it allows us to respond compassionately to the suffering of others and exercise good judgment when our actions may affect someone else. Understanding another's perspective is not only critical to building better relationships, but also makes us better citizens in our local and global communities. Empathy promotes tolerance, consideration, and compassion amongst us all. Empathy was missing that day in Minneapolis. People observing the scene were empathetic, but at least one of the police officers was not, and he was in charge of the scene. One of the ongoing issues we have with policing in this is the idea that criminals are less than human and should be treated like animals. The extreme of that idea is seeing African Americans as inherently criminal without any actual evidence, and that bias affects the, the everyday interactions of police and minority communities. Diminishing someone's humanity, which results in a lack of empathy, is how the worst crimes against humanity happen, including police killing unarmed black people. Racism has to be stopped. The board of the American Humanist Association issued a statement on June 1st calling for action to end systemic racism. The statement read in part, too many Americans are allowing ignorance and fear to guide their actions when it comes to racial injustice. Recent events and careful review of our history demonstrates that we cannot bury our heads in the sand anymore. AHA Executive Director Roy Speckhart stated, Now more than ever, we owe it to George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Admon Arbery, and the countless other victims of police brutality to hold the overt and covert systemic injustices accountable and prevent future tragedies from happening. Additionally, the AHA joined in solidarity with other social justice partners by signing on to a leadership conference on civil and human rights letter on Monday, calling on leaders in Congress to make structural reforms to police accountability, racial profiling, authorized use of force, data collection, and training. 
The LCCR letter asked House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, House Leader Kevin McCarthy, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer to take decisive federal policy action to address systemic failings. Maybe we will now actually do something so that another person isn't murdered by the police. There might be some who complain about the protest that followed the murder, and some did evolve into a riot. And on more than one occasion, it was really due to aggressive tactics by the police themselves that started those riots. The AHA statement included a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. A riot is the language of the unheard, and what is it that America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear that large segments of white society are more concerned about tranquility and the status quo than about justice, equality, and humanity. Social justice and progress are the absolute guarantors of riot prevention. For further information on the topics mentioned in this episode, check out our show notes on the website at glasscityhumanist.show. In an unexpected 6-3 decision, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled on June 15th that LGBTQ plus people are covered under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which prohibits discrimination by covered employers on the basis of race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. Justice Neil Gorsuch, a President Trump appointee, wrote the majority decision. In it, he wrote, An employer who fired an individual for being homosexual or transgender fires that person for traits or actions it would not have questioned in members of a different sex. Sex plays a necessary and undistinguishable role in the decision, exactly what Title VII forbids. Those who adopted the Civil Rights Act might not have anticipated their work would lead to this particular result. But the limits of the drafter's imagination supply no reason to ignore the law's demands. Only the written word is the law, and all persons are entitled to its benefit. Close quote. The key to the cases presented in Bostock v. Clayton County, Georgia, was if the word sex in the law covered LGBTQ people. The employers claimed that sex meant men or women and that Congress in 1964 didn't mean to cover any other combination. LGBTQ plus rights didn't start being fought for until 1969 in the Stonewall Riots. The court accepted the plaintiff's view that the discrimination was based on sexual stereotyping, which is already prohibited under the law and other court cases. The court decided that the word sex included all facets of sex, like sexual orientation and transgender. This is a textualist analysis of the word. This would be how a reasonable English-speaking person would understand the meaning of the word, not the intent of the creators of the law. One example given in the decision is a company that normally favors hiring women won't hire women with young children. That would be a violation of Title VII because sex played a part in the choice to discriminate. The ruling only covers employment, 
and the decision did point out that it wasn't deciding other related issues like if a if people can use bathrooms based on their gender identity and not their sex at birth. There will probably be further court cases as details on how this ruling will be applied. It's a great first step to confirming what we all know to be true, that all people should be treated fairly under the law. Equality advocates here in Ohio will still push a couple of non-discrimination bills in the legislature as they are more comprehensive than just employment protection. But the Bostock decision will help with the argument for support. After so much pain and suffering the past few weeks, the Monday court decision was a needed bright spot. The Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie has as, as its purpose providing a supportive, diverse local community for humanists and other non-theists. We support pride and the LGBTQ community and are pleased with the court decision and we agree that the efforts to get more protection passed in Ohio is important. This is Doug Berger for the Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie. We provide a supportive, diverse local community for humanists and other non-theists while promoting ethical and reasonable secular worldviews through education, community service, outreach, activism, and social events. If you live in the greater Toledo area or Northwest Ohio in general, check out our website at humanistwle.org. I wanted to share an old post from my Secular Left blog. It concerns the history of the U.S. Pledge of Allegiance and the unwillingness of conservatives to acknowledge the real reason the words under God were added to the pledge only in 1954. And basically this highlights one of the um, issues concerning the separation of church and state. Unfortunately, several court attempts to restore the pledge back to its original pre 1954 text have failed either on technical grounds or because co courts claim there is a generic public religion that doesn't violate the First Amendment. Back in 2005, I saw an article on a conservative news site that complained about the result of an appearance by the first executive director of the Secular Coalition of America on, on a show hosted by conservative Bill O'Reilly. And here is the text of the blog post that I posted on September the 29th, 2005. Probably a waste of time, but an article on the conservative website Mish News caught my eye this morning. Wednesday night, a talk show on the Fox network hosted by loudmouth Bill O'Reilly called The O'Reilly Factor had as a guest the first paid lobbyist for those of us who support a secular government, Lori Lippman Brown, who works for the Co Secular Coalition for America. And the issues discussed included the latest Pledge of Allegiance case now in federal court. Writer Michael J. Gaynor was not happy with how the interview turned out. It seems that his buddy O'Reilly failed to get the history of the pledge correct and allowed Brown to gain an upper hand in the, quote, debate, unquote. Gaynor writes, Bill erroneously stated that under God has historically been part of the pledge. His ignorance of the history of the pledge played into Brown's skillful, manipulative hands. First, Brown pointed out rightfully that Bill was wrong. Then she attributed ridiculously 
the inclusion of the words in the 1950s to McCarthyism. The late Republican senator from Wisconsin probably would be delighted to take credit, but his was but one vote for that inclusion. Congress was unanimously in favor, Gaynor writes. And the impetus for the inclusion came from the Knights of Columbus, not Senator McCarthy. That quote was from the article, Bill O'Reilly Helps the Secular Coalition for America. This isn't the first time that Gaynor has his conclusions wrong. In July, I posted an entry about another Gaynor article where he makes the ridiculous claim that the Declaration of Independence, the Articles of Confederation, and the Constitution each recognized God. Senator Joe McCarthy didn't introduce the words under God into the pledge, but then again, McCarthyism isn't specifically referring to him. McCarthyism is a term describing the witch hunts that went on for many years, looking for communists in all areas of the U.S. political and public life. Senator McCarthy was the most famous of these hunters, and so his name is used to describe the hunts. The search for communists had begun just after World War II, when the Cold, with, when the Cold War with the USSR had started. People were forced to reveal their political affiliations and to name names of people they thought were communists. It was an effort to make us safe from the Red Horde trying to take over the world. While recently declassified documents prove that a number of the most known cases of communist spying turned out to be true, many others had their lives ruined based merely on an accusation from another person who feared being labeled a communist. McCarthyism also gave us the blacklist in which people were classified based on if they named names or were accused of being in league with communists. The blacklist wasn't so much an actual list, but if you were on it, you might have been fired from a job, kept from getting a job, or watched by government agents. This is why McCarthyism is a dirty word with negative implications. It was a hysterical fear of communism. It was totally against the principles of rights we are supposed to enjoy in this country, like the freedom to associate, and is now seen as a black mark in the history of this country. Another aspect of McCarthyism was draping oneself in God and religion. The Soviet Union was officially a secular government and restricted or prohibited religious worship. It was based on Soviet dictator Stalin's mistaken belief that the people should only worship the state and that the state should be the only church. This was a perversion, like many other perversions by Stalin, of the communist system. Karl Marx, the father of communism, is said to have written, Religion is the opium of the people. But in fact, Mar Marx wrote, Religious distress is at the same time the expression of real distress and the protest against real distress. Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of the heartless world, just as it is the spirit of a spiritless situation. It is the opium of the people. The abolition of religion is the illusory happiness of the people is required for the real happiness. The demand to give up the illusion about its condition is the, is the demand to give up a condition which needs illusions. Austin Klein, author of the article containing the full quote, wrote in conclusion, Marx is saying economic realities prevent them from finding true happiness in this life. 
So religion tells them this is okay because they will find true happiness in the next life. The problem is that opiates fail to fix a physical injury. You only forget your pain and suffering. This can be fine, but only if you are also trying to solve the underlying causes of the pain. Similarly, religion does not fix the underlying causes of people's pain and suffering. Instead, it helps them forget why they are suffering and causes them to look forward to an imaginary future when the pain will cease instead of working to change circumstances now. Even worse, this drug is being administered by the oppressors who are responsible for the pain and suffering. And that quote is from an essay titled Karl Marx's Analysis of Religion by Austin Klein. Marx, and hence communism, didn't consider religion the real enemy of the people, but was used by the real enemy, the capitalists, to manipulate the masses. In a sense, you can see that happening in this country back in the 1950s. There was the hysterical fear of communism, which led many to drape themselves in God and religion for solace, but that also led to political leaders, ever the opportunists, to use God as a political statement of their own loyalty. The USSR, at least on paper, claimed to be a democratic republic and with a secular form of government. So many political leaders needed something to con contrast the good USA with the evil USSR. The religious fervor that enveloped the country in the 1950s was a direct result of the fear of communism and politicians used that religious revival to pass the law that changed the pledge in 1954. Then they could go back to their dis districts and prove how loyal they were by keeping that godless communism out of the schools. So Mr. Gaynor is not correct. The addition of the words under God was a result of McCarthyism. And that hysterical fear has not gone away. Only now the enemy is secular humanism or Islam instead of communism and politicians are still playing the religion card to prove their loyalty. Again, this, that was a blog post from September 2005 concerning the words under God in the Pledge of Allegiance. If you get a chance, you might want to check that out. The link will be in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this episode of Glass City Humanist. For further information, notes, and links used in the show, check out the episode page at glasscityhumanist.show. The show is written and produced by Douglas Berger, and he is entirely responsible for the content. Comments and complaints can be left on the website or sent by email to listenercomments at glasscityhumanist.show. We are sponsored in part by the Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie, and they can be reached at humanistwle.org. The theme music used on Glass City Humanist is Your Call by Kevin McLeod from filmmusic.io and is licensed through creativecommons.org as Attribution 4.0 International. See you next time.